Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team. Today we're talking with dairy farmer Ruth Kidd, who farms in the New South Wales Riverina with her husband Neville, about her exceptional performance in the area of herd fertility and the importance of that to their farming system. Joining in the discussion is her breeding consultant Leo Bidevat, who has helped inform the direction of the kids' herd breeding approach for several years now. Growing their farm from a modest size into a large-scale operation has been built on the back of strong fertility and a focus on matching the calving pattern with the availability of homegrown feed. It's a great insight into how Ruth and her husband Neville have maintained and even improved herd fertility whilst greatly increasing the size of their herd. Ruth starts this episode by describing her dairy farm business. We farm at Finlay in New South Wales. It's irrigation, it's very flat. Uh, we're at the, currently we're milking about 1,250 cows, a bit down on normal, but it's a bit dry at home at the moment, not like this nice green grass here. Um, we have a three-way cross herd um, and we carve in June, July. Yeah. And um, we have our two sons on the farm with us and uh, four full-time staff, two part-timers. Yeah. Is that enough? So, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, like, I mean, you've been up there, uh, Ruth, since the, the mid-80s, I think. Uh, yeah, and you've 85. grown. Yeah, you've grown yeah. a lot, haven't you, the farm in that time frame? Yes, yeah. yes. So you started off, I guess, with what, a couple of hundred cows, or was it even We that? started with 167 cows in 1985 and on um, 235 hectares. Yeah. And since then, we've grown the milking areas... Uh, 510 hectares with another 800 odd hectares um, uh, heifers and fodder production yeah and um, so fodder production on, on an outblocks is a big part of of your farm probably more than the average farm you would say you you, you store a lot of of uh, of extra fodder and homegrown feed would you say that yes yes D- due to our the water allocation system in New South Wales we're not a guaranteed water allocation every year, so you have to have an ulterior food oh, supply. Option, yeah. Yes, yeah. and we're it's like it's a fourteen-inch rainfall, so yeah, we not can't very rely high on... relative to the likes of Gibson, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and would you say I suppose the last couple of years have been challenging? You're probably yet into a lot of that um, deficit or that bunker of yes. know, that buffer of feed that you would have had stored. Yes. Yeah, yes. So. Yes. It's just our. Risk management. We we need to secure a way of feeding the cows so that we're not in the market when the market is extremely uh, volatile. Yeah, or high high bought in feed prices, especially. You know, it's one thing buying in high a lot of grain, but uh, at least that's decent quality. But it's much more variable when you have to buy in hay or whatever. Yes. That there might not be. You know, a lot of times. And always you know, in a drought, the fibre is. Uh, is the most expensive exactly, feed and the yeah. hardest to transport. Yeah, so I suppose the reason why we have a bit of an interest in your farm in particular is that um, it is a seasonal uh, single calving herd. What was the reason you choose that system for that for that particular area of farming uh, that you're farming in up there? I suppose we were used to it when we lived down at Jindavik and uh, when we went up there we had to supply quota milk and uh, it spread our calving over a more like a six-month period, and oh, we just found it too hard, like because you had heifers 
Well, your calves weren't all at the same stage. Your heifers weren't at the same stage. Just a lot more management. Yeah, so um, much more labour-intensive. And Would you say it was difficult to really focus on specific tasks because it was so spread out? Yes, and, and to manage the, the feed really well. Like, we can now like, dry off cows and move them off the farm and build up a, a bank ready for calving. And, and we've changed our calving times to an earlier time yeah. than what we had just to um, try and match the feed growth at the yeah, same time. So, so that's probably the key guiding principle I suppose behind your, your system is matching the feed demand to the the herd, um, the, the pasture growth to the herd feed demand. Um, yes. And yeah. you know obviously when you moved, you told me earlier when you moved away from the quota milk system in I think it was the, around 1990 was it? Yes. You, you immediately realised you wanted to tighten up your calving pattern. Yes, yes. Quite a bit. So how did that go over those few years and over the next few years after that? Over the next few years, we really... Um, the empty rate had expanded out to like 20% and we were really struggling to actually get get it down. And yeah. so then we started looking at... Like Common enough breed. issue, I imagine, across several, many herds in Australia. Yes, um, yes. But when we started looking at or what we were actually joining the cows with. Um, it was really hard to find any sires that whose dams had had a calf every year. Yeah, and, and so, this was back around mid-90s. Yes, yes. And so we started selecting only sires that had calves every year. Yeah, because of course at that point, parents had, yeah, daughter fertility or these kind of things weren't really on the radar of of breeding or genetics no, companies no. at all. There was nothing about it, I guess. Um, no, we, we approached later. the companies and said, oh, well, look, we're looking for something that's a bit more fertile. And and yeah, yeah. they weren't helpful at so all. So you realised even at that time that this was a profit driver on the farm? Yes. Under your type of system? System, yes. Yeah. 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 So so how did you deal with that then? You, I know you went to crossbreeding. Do you want to explain how that happened? or were, Leo, were you involved in that at that point? Or? I started in 1996. Yeah, and what was your role, I guess, in, in the transition of, 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 the, of the herd, the Neville and Roots herd? For a start, I just inseminated the cows, and then I saw things weren't quite as good as what they should have been, so I started taking more interest in uh, finding the right genetics. Yeah. And, yeah, it was really a team approach. Like I tried to find information. Ruth and Neville tried to find it, find information, and that's and then we talked about it and yeah, developed the way forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you decided to go go down the road of crossbreeding then, and was it immediately a three way crossbreeding system that you came up with, or what no, we start we started just jo- crossing with Jersey, and um, immediately noticed an improvement in uh, the um, production and fertility, and. Yeah. Um, so then we started, our challenge was, what do you do with that cross once you've crossed it? And yeah. So we just went, oh, well, if she's big, she got a jersey. If you're small, she got a Frisian. Yeah. And uh, then one day we heard uh, at the conference, the Large Herds Conference, about three-way crossing and how, how we could manage that easier. And, oh, that rang a bell and we thought, well, Cause that was talk a to challenge Leo. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. One of the reasons was too, when we were still doing the two, two-way cross, was that uh, if we crossed these cows back to Frisian, then we really had to be particular about uh, what bulls to use over what cows to avoid inbreeding. Yeah, yeah. And that 
that made the system a lot more complicated. And I suppose that was one of the reasons that we yeah, looked for other, other options. On the ground, in terms of farm performance in the, in the area of reproduction, uh, what kind of an impact did you see when you moved to that approach? Oh, all of a sudden, mm. our, our curve, our carving curve, really tightened up. Yeah. And we um, started yeah, getting more cows in calf quicker and and uh, like a what we call a stronger cow a, a cow that just wanted to get in and get milked yeah and more robust kind yes, of cow because yes. you have quite a large farm uh, i think you know you told me earlier that some of the paddocks on your farm are a long way away from the dairy relative to up to five kilometers which you know by australian standards would even even on large farms is quite a long way so you i guess you need a functional animal that is able to cover that distance sufficiently and and not not break down i guess yeah. and and to deal with the heat yeah up there like it gets quite warm and um yeah i think the the jersey cross cows seem to cope with it much better than the the frisians yeah so how in terms of if we look at um some statistics how how much of a difference did it make to your say six week in calf rate or, or in fact what are the metrics that you use to just to judge good repro performance on the farm yeah. and how do they change because Ruth keeps really good records and we just keep analyzing those records. We do this all the time. And we noticed once we started putting Ayrshire into the mix, the Ayrshire cross cows had, I think, about a 7% increase in conception rate. So the main things we started looking at was conception rate. Yeah. And because like six week and calf rate and all that too is, is driven, you know, is driven by submission rate and conception rate. So, so at that I, time how long how long was the AI period on the in the breeding program? At that stage I can't remember uh, now. We started off ago. I know the first few years we did AI for about seven weeks and that just kept going shorter and shorter as we were getting you know, we were you were getting too many replacements basically. So yeah. we had to shorten it because always a sign that the fertility is good on the farm if you've got extra yeah. replacements I guess. Yeah. 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 So so Right now, I know that in recent times you're you're sitting at empty rates of around four six percent consistently, aren't you? Yep. Which puts you right at the elite level, I suppose, nationally in terms of, um, you know, empty <coughs> uh, rates on main herds, and that's off. And what's even more impressive is that's off fourteen days of of AI. Mm. I think empty rate is important, but I think the most important thing is how many cows do you get in calf in the first two two or three weeks. Because whatever calves outside this period is going to have a lower conception rate already next mating. Yeah. And so what, I think the, what's the reason for that? Because their days open is just less. That's right. Yeah. When yeah. you look at the graphs, it's pretty obvious. Like once a cow has calved ten weeks, uh, from there on the conception rates are fairly fairly steady, up till Which is ten 70 weeks. Seventy days. Yeah. Yeah, seventy days. So that means uh, you've only got yeah two weeks whatever doesn't calf in two weeks is going to have a lower conception rate already yeah so at the moment you're able to achieve what's the proportion of the herd that calves within two weeks of calving start date probably i'm not too sure like some of my other customers that i've just spoken to recently they had about half this is including heifers they had about half the cows in at about one was about six days of calving. So between six and 10 days of calving in, into calving from planned start of calving, they seem to have about half the herd in. I don't know whether you're... Yeah, I, I, 
your we can't we carve the heifers uh, like ten days before the cows. So yeah, which is probably good practice on a lot of farms nowadays. Yeah. So once we start on the cows, I don't really take much notice, but usually we'd have. Or six or seven hundred in by including the heifers yeah. including the heifers yeah. within the first week of the cow starting sort of yeah. thing yeah yeah so, so it's a bit hard to it is hard and all yeah but, but the key kind of message i suppose from this is that tightening up the calving pattern as tight as possible is is a profit driver on your system and 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 just explain the reason for that it's about matching the feed demand yes so it? yeah we, we've adjusted our calving date start a calving date to try and match the feed growth so the the sooner we can get as many cows in as possible eating grazing grass um, the better yeah so the the we don't want a big wedge ahead of the cows too too far but um, and that's probably something that tends to happen on these farms where maybe there's a drift in calving and not enough of the cows are getting in quickly and i guess it does depend it's important to clarify that it depends on what's what the pattern of pasture growth is on your own farm i guess obviously it comes on pretty quick on your farm so you want to have as much herd of the herd calved and ready to go as possible in yes. post calving yes um what was interesting uh, also is the amount of days between the end of calving and the start of mating um on your farm at the moment what would that be sitting at I haven't really looked at the figures because I'm I'm not there at calving, so I don't know what's happening there really. But you mentioned early something on like about fifty days yeah. or something. Yeah, we usually finish nearly all bar a few cows yeah. are finished by the end of July, and we start carve, uh, start mating mid September. Yeah, yeah, late yeah last week of September. So yeah, and how much um, getting uh, a couple other things before we move on from the the fertility aspects. Um, how do you select your bulls? Um, what, what's the important thing you, you think about when you're selecting bulls okay, so for AI? Your fertility, cell count, temperament, production. In that order, would you say? Or sort of, they, they sort of, yeah, we sort of look at everything. Yeah. And, and part of it is too, like for a start, fertility was a major issue. Then I asked the question quite a few years ago, what's, what's the main reason for culling cows? And on most farms that I dealt with, fertility was first, mastitis second. So, so then we fertility and then health traits would have been the top two. Watch the cell, cell count a bit better. And then occasionally I've been having, I've been getting comments about temperament. So that means we need to look at temperament. Then also front teeth placement is the next thing yeah so i noticed you, you haven't really mentioned production as much in in that little uh intercept there leo which would probably be uh, maybe a surprise to a lot of farmers or listeners um you feel that you already have sufficient product pro- productive capacity in the herd or it's still part of the mix you still got to look basically we when we start looking at balls, we look we start at the top end first, like breeding worth or APR, whatever you call it. You're you're talking about what you're looking at Australian and breeding then, value, whatever. So you start at the top, and you start basically weeding out the ones you don't want according to like fertility, cell count, temperament, and all those sort of things. 
Yeah. So production is very important because that's what you get paid for. Of course. Yeah. But, but not at the cost of those other trades. That's right. So so you can't really say one is more important than the other. It's all we try to get the highest production balls in, but they still need to have good fertility, good temperament, good workabilities, good cell count. And you um do you pick the balls as you sit down together as as a team, or is, is it who makes the final decision? Is it yourself, Ruth, or uh, both of you? Or? Well, my way of thinking is it's my job to get all the information. It's Ruth and Neville's job to make pick the, the balls, yeah. make the decisions. So I I know what they're looking for. So I put a I, a group of balls together and say this this is what I would be comfortable using. But you pick whatever you want, and then price comes into it as well. Then, yeah, yeah. No, I think um, you know it's obviously working anyway because the you know the the numbers are exceptional in terms of say six week in calf rate or, or six week calving rate. I think you're probably sitting up there, right up near the top. Certainly, with we don't sort of look at it big time, but um, I worked it out a couple of years ago. It was about eighty seven percent or something. Yeah, that's, okay. so that's. So that's six week in calf rate of only the cows. Yeah. So that's the number of cows practiced in calf to calf in the first six weeks. So it's not Doesn't taking heifers into heifers, account. Yeah, that are yeah, coming in on top previous, of that. Yeah, on top yeah. of that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's that's very kind of that's very high by industry standards as well. Um, a question that a lot of people might be interested in would be: um, You obviously made the decision to move to crossbreeding and crossbreeds. Um, do you feel that you could have achieved these results over the last 15 or 20 years or whatever without the crossbreeding approach, in your opinion? That's a difficult one. I'd love to talk to somebody who's actually achieved that, but the, the Holstein herds I've been working with, some of them have been getting close to it, but not, not consistently. Uh, it's not a... I don't think every... Every Holstein herd could have achieved that, depending on, depending on the type of genetics they have been using. Because some Holstein herds actually had quite good conception, conception rates, but they were fairly picky in what sort of balls they were using and kept the genetic diversity fairly wide. Yeah. And also they, they selected balls on protein and fat percentage. As and opposed is, to liters or products. That's right. And there is there is a proven link between protein percentage and fertility. Yeah. So if you consistently select it for protein percentage, I'd say you probably would have fairly good fertility. And that's what, there was two herds I worked with over the years and they both did the same thing and they both achieved good fertility. Yeah. Not quite as good as the crossbred herds, but very acceptable. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, I think that um, it, there's also management, good management is aspects. I mean, you can have the crossbreeding or you can have the right genetics really fertile genetics but what 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 isn't compromised on your farm is management and what something that really struck me from talking to you Ruth earlier is your real kind of focus on data and gathering data you've got one of the best data sets I've ever seen going back to the 1980s of pretty much every cow that's ever calved on on the farm um, how, how important is that do you think to your success in this uh -huh. area Oh, it's really, really important these days, more so than in the past. You have to keep good records, especially with a lot of staff and what have you. You, yeah, you have to have good systems, otherwise things fall through the cracks and then you end up in trouble. Yeah, so you're able so. to pick, you know, you've got, you've got a, 
a really clear kind of instruction guide that's on the wall of the dairy for what's happening uh, in terms of the calendar around mating time and and and, and everyone is clear what's happening uh, on each day yes yes and we use you use things like google sheets to um keep records anyone can add to it anytime so it's yeah so where it's, as long as they've got their phone they can record it so if somebody goes down the paddock and sees a, a couple of cows in heat or whatever um it's recorded in, on in immediately in the spreadsheet and it's easy to do that you, yes. you've got it set up for all staff to do yeah yes yeah so yeah. it's so all that contributes in towards giving you a better, a better bank of knowledge when it comes to uh breeding uh, at the start the start of breeding mating start date then Yes, yes. Well, we we don't we don't do pre-mating checks or anything like that. Um, we think we really need to concentrate on on joining when it's joining time. So um, they get their shot PG shot three weeks before the start of mating. And yeah, I was um, going to ask you about synchro. So so just go through that very briefly. They get a PG shot three weeks before before the start of mating, and then we at three weeks later we start pulling woolly beacons and tail paint on and then we start inseminating whatever's seen on heat they're only heat detected during milking so I stand there and watch them come past every morning and draft the ones that are on heat that I think are on heat and uh, retouch up the paint on anybody that's lost it or if their KMAS half gone off or something and you feel that's quite important that you you're doing that job you you i think as a as a more probably most experienced staff member along with neville on the farm um i think we can train anyone to do it but one person has to do it because they see the difference every day in the different uh tail paint and what's going on if somebody else comes in and does one day well all of a sudden you've got extra cows drafted that aren't really on and yeah it's Consistency in in management is really yeah. I think important. that's an important lesson because yeah. what's been really impressive looking back at your data sets is that you've grown your herd as you said from I think it was one fifty or something like that back in the eighties to twelve thirteen hundred now, and you haven't compromised on that that calving pattern's got tighter even instead of shorter despite the 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 herd size growing to what would be considered quite a large herd now, you know whereas often you can find that maybe labour can get compromised or whatever or, or issues can get compromised in the farm when you've got such a large herd and you miss things but that hasn't been the case in your farm because we're only inseminating for 14 days like uh, we can really focus on it for that length of time whereas if you're going out for six weeks or something it's really it's hard really to keep that it? focus yeah and you you said that uh, earlier leo as well that the thing about short attention spans for people mine yes yeah. <laughs> I, I have got a short attention span yeah. so if you had to do ai awesome. for six weeks you reckon that you might i'd be struggling struggling and not be as concentrated uh, no. uh no. at the end as you are at the no. at the start yeah um we didn't we didn't quite finish on the um yep synchrony program so after we inseminate natural heats for seven days well, eight days was it? Yeah, seven to nine so days. So depending on how how we're going, and then we'll give all the cows that haven't cycled another a PG shot, and then do them. So yeah, yeah. So um, so it's to every cow will well the first half will get one shot, and the the rest will get. And if you've got non cyclers or an Easter's cows, what happens to them? The ball gets them. 
efter vinterkammeret her. But it's not really like we'll submit 90 to 90. Yeah, between nine, normally between 90 and 95%, and that's really good enough to, you know, you can worry about the last 5 or 10%, yeah. but I don't think it makes a huge difference in total carving pattern. Yeah, you're right there. I think uh, if you get 90% or 95% submitted in those in yeah. two AI, and then I guess um, the bulls will come in then. And how long will the bulls, did the bulls stay in? Sorry, another thing about uh, these last five to 10%. The other question you got to ask is, do you really want to keep replacements out of the last five exactly. to 10%, which are probably your problem chaos? Maybe you're better off just letting the bulls deal with them and don't keep those replacements. Yeah, so you would never really keep replacements from those those animals. You obviously have enough from the amount of heifers that you're going to get in the first few weeks of calving yeah. anyway. Yeah. If they're not AI, there's, unless we're really desperate to um, get extra increase heifers, numbers, increase numbers yeah, yeah, we won't keep them. Yeah, I suppose on, on the fact that you're a relatively steady state farm, You know, on, on some farms, they could be growing quite rapidly or trying to grow numbers quite rapidly. And there is a risk that you keep around some animals that might not be quite as desirable or that wouldn't stay around if you were a steady state farm. But that that's uh, something that probably people do need to be aware of. We've had enough droughts lately to not to have to worry about that because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> every yeah. time there's a drought, you get rid of everything that is not going to be there in the future. So Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, We'd rather not have the droughts. How long does the bulls actually stay in for then once the AI, 14 days of AI is over? That's been reducing. We used to like, like leave them in till nearly to Christmas, but now they'll come out in early December and it might even come back another week because there wasn't hardly any cows got in calf for that last week. So it wasn't worth the effort. Of so leaving early in. December is about, what's that? Eight, eight weeks, maybe? Nine, ten weeks. Altogether, total mating? Yes. About 10 weeks? 10 weeks of total mating. So that's two weeks of AI and then about another eight weeks of bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty tight. Um, what, before we finish up, uh, a couple more things. Um, how much of an emphasis do you put on body condition score of your herd? Uh, we like to keep them in good condition all the time. Yeah. It's, um, so you're looking at that even right through the lactation as well and you have one eye on the breeding season because yeah. it is a, i guess there's a lot of research that shows it is a big factor in in um successful um fertility uh, having the correct body condition score uh, i guess at dry off but even at you know at calving as well yes oh well you need to have them in good condition before they dry them off and maintain condition like you don't losing condition costs money like exactly and yeah. putting it back on again costs money so it's a no win like So if you have to do a little bit of extra supplementary feeding, even when the cows are dry, you don't compromise on that. If, if, yeah. if it's going to feed them well, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think the the results do speak for themselves. I mean, it's a exceptional um, performance in terms of reproductive. And how big of an impact do you think? We'll just finish up on this one. But how how big of an impact do you feel it has on your overall profitability of the farm and the farm system? Because often that's a question that can be hard to answer, but In your in your case, what would you reckon? I think being able to maintain a highly fertile herd and keeping them calving to optimize the grass growth and use um, is really critical. Like we're a pasture-based system, we don't have a feed pad to or 
can't haven't got a mixer wagon or anything like that so optimizing that car the grass straight into cows is the the is a, is cheapest way of actually making money yeah yeah exactly yeah no um i reckon that's a good summary of of, of the farm and the farm system um thanks very much to uh, um to ruth and to leo i really appreciate your uh, your input there and uh, and your story and i think that uh um, your success speaks for itself in terms of this area so hopefully uh, other people can take some learnings and some ideas and um, continue to improve in this space as well thanks to ruth and leo for sharing those insights into the kids farm business model dairyaustralia.com.au offers plenty of online resources to help you improve both fertility and feeding outcomes while your local rdp will have information about how to register for in charge fertility a course provided by dairy australia to improve herd reproductive performance don't forget you can find the DairyPod archive on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and take care till next time.